Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Talking City podcast here by the Manchester Evening News. I am your host today, Ash Barami, and I am pleased, as always, to be joined by Simon Bykowski. Hello. And Stu Brennan. Hello there. How are we both doing? Yeah, good. This is an emergency, isn't it? I thought we were going to be back after the international break, but... I thought that, yeah, you know. as well, then. City decided... City had other plans, didn't they? Talking like cracked badge on the page time, aren't we? Yeah. Crisis management. Yeah. That's what yeah. this is. We're all in a crisis at the moment. And, <laughs> Stu, I mean, where, I mean, where can we start with that performance against Wolves? I mean, going into half-time, City were probably lucky not to already be down 1 or 2 nil, but... In the end, Wolves took the chances late on and got the win. What what did you make of that? What's going wrong with City at the moment? Uh, yeah, I actually thought they played better in the second half when they conceded the two goals than they did in the, in the first half. I thought they were awful in the first half. Um, I think there's a number of things. Obviously, the defensive crisis. It was interesting that on Friday at Pep's press conference, um, Pep was invited to pour praise on his players for the way they did coped without Stones and Laporte. Um, you know, up until then, they'd, they'd won five out of five. They'd scored 19, conceded one, and everyone was saying, well, so where's the problem then? You know, two, two, two main central defenders out there. And it was quite telling that he didn't pour praise on them. He basically said, we were lucky at Everton. Uh, Edison saved us. Um, and he, he talks about the chances that they conceded at Bournemouth without, you know, without conceding goals. Um, so you got the feeling that he was thinking, yeah, we've done all right so far, but when somebody tests it, you know, we might not do so well. And Wolves tested it and they were found wanting. Uh, but it wasn't, you know, I think Otamendi had a bit of a nightmare. Uh, I thought Fernandinho did the sort of, if, if you like, the bog standard defending quite well. Where Fernandinho falls down is in terms of his positioning, uh, in terms of his pace, he, you know, he's not he's not equipped to deal with counter-attacking and things like that, which aren't really his fault because he's not a central defender. Um, Otamendi should be because that's his trade um, and he wasn't. But there were others as well, you know, giving the ball away um, high up the pitch um, when Wolves are set up to counter-attack. You know, Wolves did a little switch in the second half, Triori played a little bit further forward and it was Traore who broke. We all know about Traore's pace and he broke twice um, and and scored twice. Um, So everything was perfect for Wolves in terms of City didn't play well. They defended extremely well and counter-attacked well and uh, that was the result. It was a a defeat and perhaps perhaps it's been coming. Yeah, and Si, I mean, we saw City last season struggle a bit during winter going into January and they lost obviously points to Newcastle and Crystal Palace at home. Do you think this is similar to the run they had then or do you sense there's something different with City? I would say the the lack of ideas or confidence in the team is similar to, to how it was then. You know, when they lost to Palace, it was a bit of a freak result last December, but they played terribly and no one could understand why they played terribly. 
Then they went to Leicester. Um, as they'd done against Palace, they took the lead and then they just looked like they didn't know what to do and they were broken. And Guardiola said after that game on Boxing Day, you know, they were short on confidence and tired physically. Um, they shouldn't be as tired physically now, but it was a performance against Wolves that, yes, it was a one-off in one sense. It was a bad day at the office, but on the other hand, it was a lot of chickens coming home to roost that have been talked about since the summer. In what in what sense? Like defensively? Um, de- defensively. I mean, they've left themselves short and like Stu's outlined the problems that Otamendi and Fernandinho have, have got differently. Um, Cancelo played left-back, two left-backs were on the bench. Um, Cancelo was signed because it became sort of increasingly obvious over summer that Walker needed someone to to push him at right back. Uh, Rodri is, I love watching Rodri play. He's got a lot of skills. He can't quite do defensively what Fernandinho does. And it was him that lost the ball high up the pitch for the second goal. Um, And he contributes to the lack of pace that, I mean, to have Fernandinho, Otamendi, Rodri, Gundogan and David Silva in the middle, you have got no pace whatsoever. Um, So you're going to be liable on the counter. I mean, the attack didn't, didn't perform very well either but you know Guardiola has been a master these last two seasons at dealing with injury problems which City have a lot of injury problems at the minute that shouldn't be underestimated Um, and Laporte obviously is the massive one but others have contributed Um, but I think that Sunday against Wolves was evidence of you know one one compromise too many because there were just too many things that that couldn't save the performance or the result yeah, and, and Stu, I mean, we're here about uh, Laporte's injury, but as well, another player that City did lose over summer was company as well. So, I mean, in terms of defensively, you're, you're losing two massive assets to the team. And then probably we hear about Laporte's injury, but we maybe don't hear as much about company leaving and the influence he had on that defence. Yeah, it's the, two, the two main centre-backs from last season, um, without one permanently and company having left, and without the other one until until next year sometime. Um, it was interesting, though, comparing it to what happened last season because it was company who came in, you know, out of the cold, really. You know, he hadn't been playing. He, he, he'd been, you know, City had been doing well without him. Then they had that little crisis. You know, they lost at home to Palace. They lost at Newcastle. And Pep turned to company and brought him in. Uh, a little bit of a surprise, really, as I remember it. Uh, and he really got hold of the team he sort of got a grip on them um, and from there on they, they didn't really look back um, I've, no I've got that wrong haven't I the Newcastle game was, was late, was Palace later. and Leicester but Palace Newcastle Leicester, was a month of course it was a yeah. month on yeah sorry this is what you get with age <laughs> um, but but yeah so but and I think I think the solution this time is another Belgian uh, I don't think Tintin is going to be available or uh, or Hercule Poirot or anyone like that. But but Kevin De Bruyne coming back will solve some of these problems. You talk about pace in the in the middle of the pitch, as Simon did. De Bruyne gives you that. He gives you that little bit of a spark. He gives you different options. You know, City are great at passing it around. They weren't on uh, against Wolves, but but De Bruyne gives you that that option where he'll whip a ball in. He'll have a shot from twenty twenty five yards. He just keeps teams guessing a little bit more than Gundogan and Silva do. You know, you're never quite sure what he's going to do. Gundogan and Silva were a little bit predictable on Sunday. He knew what they were going to do and Wolves dealt with it. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, in terms of central defence, 
they've got to find a solution. I mean, Stones coming back, I'm not sure. I mean, Stones was third choice centre-back last season. Uh, there are still question marks over him. Uh, and if it's going to be Stones and Otamendi, Otamendi has been the, the biggest weak point. So they have got a problem. Of course, they've got they've got other solutions. They've got Eric Garcia, who's who's next in line. Uh, whether he's ready for the Premier League or not remains to be seen. But sometimes it, it's situations like this that can be the making of a player. You know, if Eric Garcia gets his chance, he's a smart young lad. Um, in terms of organisation, he's very, very good. And that's something that I think City seriously lacked at the back yesterday. You know, you, you saw for, you saw, uh, for the first goal... Um, sorry, it wasn't the first goal. It was in the first half. It was it was the first chance where they went one on one. Otamendi stepping up into midfield for no apparent reason. Fernandinho was was probably thirty yards to his right uh, in no man's land. It wasn't wasn't we weren't quite sure what Fernandinho was meant to be doing there. Um, you, you don't get that with two centre backs who play together regularly. So you know whether 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 Stones can come in and sort that out whether Garcia could come in and sort that out is a uh, is another matter but City are seriously lacking the leadership that company gave last year yeah and I was uh, we did speak the other day about Eric Garcia about whether he could have got a chance against Wolves I mean there's probably a stronger case now for the next game City have than there was before and Sai do you think I mean with with Garcia now do you think now if there's ever going to be a chance for him to break into that City team and it's probably going to be a, a situation like this where City are almost pretty much defensively in a bit of a crisis. I think so. I mean, I, I think he's got a, a decent shout, whatever, because it, it, he's very talented. But th- there are a lot of square pegs in round holes. And I think Garcia is a, uh, a circular peg that um, could could go in. I think um, him and Fernandinho would be a very good combination because we've seen that Garcia doesn't isn't phased by sort of the senior players around him. He's quite happy to voice his opinion. He's played with Otamendi at Leicester in the cup last season and was quite happy to sort of order Otamendi around and tell him where to go and what to do. So I think <laughs> you will, I, yeah, I think you would be quite happy doing the same to Fernandinho and, um, and that, and that would, would help to sort of counter for Fernandinho's weaknesses and allow him to sort of enhance his strengths at centre back. So I think, um, pretty much every league game since Laporte's been injured, they've gifted at least one goal. So the Guardiola does need to be looking to to change personnel. I think. Yeah, it doesn't look like a young player that will be phased by being thrown into that City first team for a Premier League game, would he? Sure. No, he wouldn't at all. And it's like Simon said. You know, he's got an old head on his shoulders. You know. Uh, and he perhaps would have brought that organisation that was was lacking. Um, my my only issues with Garcia are the, the ones that I've spoken about before. Physicality is he strong enough? And pace, you know, we talked about there being no pace. He's he's pretty slow. He's Otamendi style slow um, from what I've seen. He's not that quick. Um, and for an eighteen year old, Otamendi's. <laughs> Nearly my age, so you know it's, it's understandable that he's he's I mean, he's always he's, he's always been fairly slow to be honest, but but Garcia um, isn't quick. He's still lacking that bit of pace. You start looking at other options. I mean, Pep's talks about Kyle Walker playing centre back. Now, for me, he's quite often a liability at right back defensively. Walker, 
uh, and putting him in at centre-back where he's not used to playing. The, on, the only thing that Walker's got is that pace that we talked about and he, he uses it to recover. You know, you kind of think if Walker had been in that central position chasing back Triori, um, or ch- chasing the counter-attack yesterday, well, um, he'd have stood a chance. He's perhaps a one-player in that back four, he would have stood a chance of actually getting back and putting a challenge in and stopping stopping it happening. Unfortunately, he went off ill at half time. Um, I mean, he, he probably would have been in an advanced position anyway when City gave it away. But if you play him in that centre back position, you know he will give you that pace and he'll give you that power of recovery that City just don't possess. Yeah, and but you lose. You, sorry, you lose something with him because he's not that great defensively. Yeah, I've noticed as well in the last, uh, well, yesterday, looking on social media recently, I mean, Ilkay Gundogan's coming for a bit of stick from City fans. I mean, it was only a week or two ago that Pep was saying that he was one of his best signings. What have you What have you made of him, of Gundogan, lately, as of late? Um, I think it is harder to see what Gundogan adds to the team than it is most players. Um, that isn't to say that I don't rate him. I think he's very good. Um but he's sort of his strengths are in sort of appearing when you don't expect him to appear, or you know making a recovery when you're not expecting him to be there. So by that definition, I think his sort of his best skills get kind of lost. His reading of the game isn't perhaps appreciated. It was funny he did an interview over the weekend, I think, where he said. He was perhaps underappreciated by the the Germany team, and then he got absolutely slaughtered <laughs> for his uh, his performance for City uh, on Sunday. I mean, there's people who want to see Phil Foden start, and will be angry whenever Phil Foden doesn't start, even though Guardiola has said Gundogan's really really good. Um, but I think he was another. He was kind of caught in no man's land. He sort of neither offered Rodri much assistance nor helped Silver create um, so that was kind of part of why City struggled yeah I mean do you, th- do you think the international breaks come at a good time for City to do um, to just maybe reassess things and look at the yeah, players that have well, performances sim- simply in practical terms because they'll probably get Stones back they'll probably get De Bruyne back after the international break so you know if they'd had, if they'd had a couple or three games in that, that spell um, you know they'd have had to get by without those two um, but just going back to Gundogan, um, I, I've said this time and time again, I, he's great to watch. I, I know City fans who are sort of football purists love watching him because he's, he's, got, he's got great technique, he's great on the ball, you know, he keeps it circulating. I, 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 uh, for a bit of mischief, I wrote a piece last season saying how he was City's new Yaya Toure. Now, he couldn't be further <laughs> further apart from the IAD, sorry, as we all know in, in, in any aspect. Uh, but the one thing that he does that Yaya Torre used to do is he keeps the ball circulating, he gives it and then he's in a position to take it and he just keeps the ball moving along, which is great and it's really important. But Yaya Torre also gave you bursts forward. He gave you killer passes. He gave you 30-yard shots into the top corner. He made an impact on the game, when, when it, especially in games that were tight and were tough. Gundogan has done that in the past. You think back to his goal in the derby last season. You think back to two goals against Barcelona in the Champions League. 
he's not doing it. He's not doing it this season. So while he's neat and tidy and everything that Pep loves in a midfielder, you know, he's not showy. He's not trying to try and. 70-yard Hollywood passes, he just keeps the ball moving and, and circulating. Like Sai said, he doesn't affect the game enough for me. Kevin De Bruyne does. And that is a bait. That's that's simply what's happened. Gundogan's come in, De Bruyne's gone out due to injury. And City are missing that dynamism that De Bruyne brings. They're missing the passing, they're missing the crossing, they're missing the effect that he has on the game. Gundogan doesn't do it. David Silva's not doing it as much as he used to do. Now, whether that's just because he's winding down, you know, we know, he's obviously thought, I can only do this for one more season at this level. And to me, he's he, this season so far, he's not been the... He's, he's had good games, but he's not been the player he was. We're talking about a player who used to get hold of a game and, uh, and win games for you. He's not doing that. So in the absence of Kevin De Bruyne... It's not happening in that in that midfield three. They've not scored in a first half that De Bruyne hasn't started so, this season. Yeah, well, uh, other than Preston, but Premier League, Champions League, when De Bruyne hasn't started, they've not scored in the first half. Whereas I think they're averaging two more than two goals in the first half when he starts. So he he just adds something that no other midfielder at City can do. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Bernardo Silva's another player we touched on as well a few days ago when we last on our podcast and he didn't start in this in the game. I mean, do you, do you think he's, he's another player that can, when he is on form, he can maybe do that sort of thing? Do? Well, yeah, we think about last season. I mean, it seems odd talking about Kevin De Bruyne being so essential because they went without him last season um, for, for a large chunk of the season. And, uh, and and won all three domestic trophies. And it was a case of, well, who needs Kevin De Bruyne? But the big difference then was that Kevin De Bruyne was out and Bernardo Silva came in and seized his opportunity, big style. You know, he, he'd, he'd been a good player before that, but he came in and showed he's a great player. Um, he was the man who, who drove it. He was, he was player of the season in a lot of people's books. Um, but he, he he really stepped up, and he was he was doing that. He was putting crosses in. He was scoring important goals. He was making killer passes. He was he was committing defenders and beating them and, and taking players out of the game. Um, he's not done that this season. Um, so you've got him not doing it. You've got David Silva not doing it particularly. You've got Gundogan not doing it. De Bruyne is the only one this season who has done that. I mean, it sounds odd because you've had some great results and played really well. <laughs> But they've done that against teams that have rolled over, you know, the likes of Watford and West Ham and people like that. When they've come up against a team that was live, like Wolves were, um, they found it tough. They found it fairly tough at Bournemouth. They found it tough at Everton. Um, They've had enough to get through those games because they've got so much quality. But they they need Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. So, so So I think Bernardo's better through the middle. And I think Bernardo's best performances last season came through the middle. Um, his first season when he was adjusting to City, he was on the wing. He played the back end of last season on the wing as De Bruyne came back into the team. But I think Bernardo affects the game more. You think to his like his best performances last season against like Liverpool or Tottenham, and and he was through the middle and he was up and down and he was. It felt like he was everywhere, but he was affecting play from the middle. But you know, you can understand if Guardiola, if he's got Gundogan and Silver, he thinks, right, well, I'll play Bernardo out wide because Bernardo can play out wide better than either of those two can. But I think we're still kind of, Bernardo's in a bit of a sort of no man's land at the minute where he's being used out wide, but his 
probably better through the middle, but he's only ever going to play out wide. So if you were to put Bernardo, say, through the middle, who would you take out to accommodate that? Either. Either Gundogan or Silva, I think. Any preference? Um, maybe David Silva. With maybe the maybe now. David Silva because Bernardo is probably similar to, more similar to David Silva than, than Gundogan. Um, but I'd be very excited to see Bernardo and De Bruyne in the middle. Yeah, we'll see. Um, got the nod of approval from Stu. <laughs> uh, Stu, I mean, I know we're only eight games into the season, but is it too early to suggest, to suggest that it's Liverpool's title to lose this season? Um, it's incredible that we're talking about that. In, in eight October, points, I think. It, it, it is theirs to lose, but what's happened in the last two seasons, you kind of think, you know, it, it puts a whole new perspective on things. Everyone's talking about, you know, 2012 when City were eight points behind with with five or well, six games to go and, and they overhauled it. But this isn't this isn't twenty twelve, you know, uh, we're in a we're in a whole new world here. Um by dint of what City have done for the past two seasons and what Liverpool did last season. Um what will be interesting is that whether Liverpool can keep up that pace uh without City pushing City haven't been pushing them. They've got to do it without City pushing them. Um, you know, Liverpool pushed City all the way last... Well, once City had got the noses in front, Liverpool pushed them all the way last season. Um, it'll be tough for Liverpool to keep up the pace that they've set so far. Um, if they keep getting the kind of help that they got from the referee and the, the video assistant referee, which was, you know, I mean... What did you make of that? I mean... Oh, a penalty. Is that a penalty, really? I keep seeing people saying... Well, there was contact, uh, and when you feel contact in the penalty area, you go down. What utter nonsense! Contact is not a foul. You know, it, there was a there was a touch, and the merest touch. Uh, it didn't affect his balance. It didn't affect what he was doing. He actually pulls his leg away from it and then throws himself to the ground. Yeah. Um, so, for me, it's a yellow card for diving. All 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 ends up. You know, if we're going to give a penalty every time there's contact and somebody hurls themselves to the floor, but what what's more worrying about it is that this is what VAR was supposed to rule out. Now, if I'm the video assistant referee and seeing that, I would say no goal, uh, no penalty. Um, yeah, obviously, they can't advise the referee to to book him for diving, but um, that should be the case. You know, I don't. The retrospective uh, punishment should should kick in at that point. Um, do you think in that situation it's good if the people who do the VAR stuff maybe come out and explain the decisions behind what they've essentially said, why it's a penalty? Yeah, I, I, I think that kind of openness in, in football would be great. You know, uh, I, I think I think that you know referees are professional now, VAR professional. Um, they should be held to account. They should be made to explain themselves. You know, everyone else is. The managers are. Uh, players do it to a certain extent. Um, why not? Why not referee? I, I do understand it to a certain extent that you, you've got to protect referees, um, but protect them how far? You know, these guys are professional, and you see decisions like that, and it just turns people off from the game. Um, fans, you know, City fans are talking about corruption and all this kind of stuff, which is just paranoia. Let's be honest. You know, there's there's nothing that suggests that there's a deliberate. Um, some kind of deliberate campaign to get Liverpool to win the league and to, to do City down. I think that's going way too far. But you do wonder if it's at the back of some some officials' minds when they make decisions like that. You know, they're at Liverpool. Um, the Anfield crowd can sway things. 
Um, and it, to me, that kind of decision and the kind of decision that City didn't get in the Champions League in midweek, where it was a clear handball and the the, 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 the referee didn't spot it, which was fair enough because we didn't see it. But when you see the replay, you think it was clear as day it was a handball and should have been a penalty. How does the VAR not see that? And when these kind of things happen... Uh, they, they did see it. They just deemed that it wasn't a clear and obvious error. <laughs> well, That's I mean, why that, that explanation that, would be good, wouldn't it? That's, because you'd get more of an understanding as to why they've come to the decision that they have come to. Yeah, but they, they ain't going to do that because there is no explanation. There's no explanation that would that would ever make you think, oh, actually, yeah, I can see now where they're coming from. Because everybody could see that that was a handball. His hand wasn't in a natural position. It's a penalty. You know, there's, there are no doubts about it. Um, it's like the David Silva um, penalty earlier in the season. Was that, I was away on holiday. Was it in Brighton? Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Yeah. Bournemouth it was. I mean... It's a clear, clear penalty. You compare that to the one that, that um, Mane went down from. You know, there, there was a block on his foot. Um, he, he he went over the foot. You know, there, he, nothing else he could do. It, this wasn't a touch and then him going down. This was him being, being tripped, basically. Um, whereas Mane did exactly what people said. He felt the contact and thought, oh, I'll get one here. And, and hurled himself to the floor. Um, two, two big things. And this is where VAR should be stepping in. This is where, where VAR should be saying, yes, that's a clear penalty. No, that isn't a penalty. And they're not. They're not, they're not, they're not doing what they're there for. So you kind of think, well, what's the point? Yeah. I, I think one of the big issues with it is that it seems half-hearted. They seem like they're too afraid of overturning referees' decisions. Big you know, possibly because VAR could be seen as undermining the the importance of the referee if they're saying, no, you got five calls wrong in that game. Um, and we saw like in the Ashes, like the umpires weren't very good and a lot of decisions overturned and the umpires don't look very good as a result. But I think everyone would rather VAR tell a referee you got five calls wrong in that game than just say, no, 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 it, it's not sort of, immediately obvious that the ref got that wrong so we'll give him the benefit of the doubt like no it's not what VAR's there for it's not the ref works on the benefit of the doubt and what he can only see and the reason to have those extra pair of eyes is to to get it absolutely spot on and yeah. that's not happened enough times yeah does the monitor ever get used by the referee because I know it's in the, in the World Cup but it got used so so much but no it, it got used like ridiculously in the Women's World Cup and it was seen as like being used too much so the Premier League said no we're not going to use it and again that was part of their call to say you know we think our referees are really good and we're going to sort of give them the benefit of the doubt but th there are certain decisions where you just think if the ref got a chance to look at this one again like there's no way like I'm sure City got done with the handball at Schalke last season where it was Otamendi or Fernandinho who it brushed their arm Otamendi and the ref was told to go and look at his screen and did so and you know it's going to be a penalty now if anyone had been told to look at the screen in midweek there's no way they wouldn't have given a penalty but as it is they just say oh no 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 forget about that one would you would you like to see that happen? Where in the situation where the referee does go over and check the VAR monitor, or is it, or would the almost like that feeling of having to wait so long for a decision to be made would that almost override and take the almost emotion out of the game? Well, I, I like I like VAR in cricket. I'm a big cricket fan, I'm a big rugby league fan, and I like it in both those sports. I think it adds to it. 
It's in football that it's not working. And if you look at the way it works, and in rugby union as well, I think it works. If you look at the way it works there, the referee just basically hands the decision over to the video ref. And and basically the, the idea is if you can see a clear reason why it's like in rugby league i mean i'm just going to throw in the fact that salford beat wigan on uh, <laughs> on friday night now but you, you saw it there where the, where the, the referee gives gives a decision on the field um and you'll say yes i think it's a try but go at the video ref and the idea is if they can see a reason why the referee's got it wrong they'll overrule it uh, and they look at it from all kinds of angles and they will say, yes, try or no try. It's taken out of the referee's hands. I don't see a problem with that. I don't, you know, I, th- I think the argument against it is, oh, this is undermining the referee. It's taking away his authority. Well, who cares? You know, there, no one's come to see the referee. People have come to see the game. Um, you know, and if it gets things right, well, fair enough. Um, and you don't want to be seeing it where the referee's legging it over to the, the halfway line and looking at a screen. Which game was it? The European game last season, the first time it was used, City played, and, and they found out that the screens weren't working. That was Schalke, yeah. That was Schalke. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> come on. It, you know, the, there's no there's no need for that. I, I think they need to start looking at the way other sports do it, where it works, and, and learn from that. They, 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 they're too busy trying to give referees... Uh, some kind of authority, some kind of status that that they shouldn't have. Referees shouldn't be noticed, but but they are being because they're getting decisions wrong, which everyone accepts is part of the game. But then that's been doubled down on by the fact that the VAR is getting it wrong as well. The the Argentina red card against England in uh, rugby union at the weekend, perfect example. Like it happened the big hit came in and the commentators are like, wow, that's a big hit. Yeah, he's really got him hard there. And then on replay, you know, the, the uh, they go to the technology and the people who are sat in the studio watching it say, right, he's come in too high. He's not shown enough intent to go lower. So I think it's a red card. And the referee says, I agree with you. Red card it is. How long did all that take to sort? Well, I mean, there are more natural pauses in in rugby but it didn't take very long but like Stu I would rather the VAR team say this is the decision than keep the power with the the on-field referee and have him running about all over the place trying to decide because you know everyone gets things wrong and there's no harm in a referee saying you know what I didn't see that or I called that wrong mm. there you have it well, we came to talk about Liverpool, uh, the title of Aston we ended up with <laughs> this is going to keep happening. This is why, I mean, I, yeah. I was a big fan of it, but unless unless he started getting it right, scrap it. Because we, this is all people are talking about, isn't it? You know, <laughs> I, was on, I was on Facebook last night and everyone's arguing about the Liverpool penalty and VAR. It shouldn't be that. We should be talking about two great teams who are going for, going for the title and, and about great players. We're not. We're talking about referees making rubbish decisions and VAR not not sorting it out the, the hope for City in regard to Liverpool is that I don't think Liverpool have been anywhere near eight points better than City I think we've spoken about the, the problem City have had in beating Bournemouth and other teams this season I think Liverpool have had trouble beating teams the difference is they've got the results but as with last season it will be how long can you keep it up for with either City chasing or not chasing but 
you know, they've got United after the international break. They've got City in a few weeks. Um, there are some some games where they could drop points and it's going to be interesting to see if they're sort of... Because they, they, Liverpool can get a lot better than they've been playing. That would be a worry. But they've been the way they've been playing, you won't be surprised if they, if they drop points. Yeah. And can it happen that goalkeepers keep making... The kind of mistake. <laughs> They've got goalkeepers. I'm sure that all the goalkeepers in the Premier League are scousers. They just keep throwing throwing them in their own net. It's, it's unreal. You make your you know? own look. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I get that. I mean, and, and a part of it is that Liverpool do have so many shots on target. Yeah. And they're so, they're so good at, at getting at teams. That it is, but, you know, when was the last time you, you saw a goalkeeper have a worldie against Liverpool? It seems to happen quite a lot against City, you know. Um, well, I mean, I mean, City seems to have... <clears throat> A point against Tottenham was an absolute freak result, but like you say, oh, well, a point against Tottenham isn't that bad. And you look at Tottenham's other results and you think, well, maybe it was. Especially their away form. You know, Norwich beat them and you think, well, you know, promoted team at home and then Norwich Villa and you think, Christ, that's a bad result that he had. So they've not had, um, they've, they've dropped points to, to teams that aren't the best to drop points to. Can I just make a point? Are we allowed to blaspheme? <laughs> Depends. Because I hope so. Because I've got a few myself. You can uh, you can bleep it out if you like. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Give me extra work to do. But it, but it is a lo- it is it's a long old season, isn't it? I mean, the ball hasn't even changed to the, to the yellow one yet. So I mean, that's what that's, we're all waiting for. That's, that's, that's the that's the bit. As soon as the ball goes yellow, you can start making title predictions. Yeah. I think that's the that's the rule. Unless you pep and you, he tells you to come back in March and yes. remind them then. Yeah. I mean, Stu, finally, the January transfer window, it seems so far away, but I mean, do you, from what you understand, do you think City will have an eye on maybe looking to bring in recruitments in January? Um, to be honest, I've had no inkling on that as yet. I, I, I could sit here and lie and pretend that I knew all about what City were planning to do, but I don't. Um, I would imagine they'll be looking for a centre-back. Um, whether they'll get one is another matter because it's not easy getting one it's not easy getting one full stop when you're looking at the kind of quality that City have. I mean, last, in the summer, they put all their eggs in the in the Harry Maguire basket and that didn't come off. Um, sim- and they, they didn't have a, a plan B or a plan C, which which they always say that they have. Um, and that, that sort of indicates to me um, the level that City are operating at, it's got to be the right player. Um, and if they want to bring Garcia through and then they want to bring Taylor Harwood Bellis through, um, no, but as Pep says, they, they're a club that has to win things. You know, they ha- they, they're, they're in that groove now. They need to keep winning. Um, and if they're going to win and win stuff this season, they definitely need centre backs. They've got Laporte coming back, of course, but the very fact that he was injured and what's happened while he's been injured proves that they're short in that department. They do need another body in there, and it has to be a top quality one. So. I'm sure that they'll be beavering away trying to find the right person, identify the right right target. And if they think they can get them in January, I mean, they've done it in the past in January. Um, you know, they've, they've been for Mares, they bought Laporte in January, they, bought, they brought in Gabriel Jesus in January. Um, if they think they can do it, I'm sure they will. But it's, it's always fraught with difficulty. Yeah. So do you think City will be active in January? Maybe, I mean, there's, there is a defensive concern, but do you think there may, might be any other areas of that team that they might consider? Um, 
I mean, <laughs> I've written a piece today saying that they've no good options at left back, which so um, so perhaps left back. But um, but I, I did fi- I find it strange that they sort of wanted to sign a left back and then said no, we're going to put that money towards signing a centre back and then didn't sign a centre back either. And I think that kind of that was just shown up on on Saturday to be a bit a bit daft. I mean, look. You can't countenance for Laporte being absent, but um, they they looked short before the season started, and they've been proven short. So I think defence is is really where the main areas are. Because I mean, we talked about Benjamin Mendy in midweek doing okay, um, put something like fifteen crosses into the box, great, injured for Saturday, and you, you, in that situation, have they really got a left back? that they can rely on, that they can say, we'll play him against Liverpool or we'll play him in the Champions League final. Um, I'm not sure they have. Mm. We shall see. It's the international break now, so I mean, City have a couple of weeks to maybe look at the players who are injured and give them some time to, if they are back to fitness, then we'll see what happens. Sai, Stu, thank you very much. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the Talking City podcast on Acast, Spotify, iTunes, whichever platform you listen to us on. Leave a like, leave a comment, and we shall see you probably after the, just before the football returns in a week and a half's time. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.